I'm Tim Malloy. Welcome to Movie Maker. Today our guest is Eliza Schlesinger, who is one of our best comedians, but is also building a very solid reputation as a filmmaker. She stars in the new Netflix film, Good on Paper, which she also wrote and executive produced. It's based on an experience from her own life that sounds horrible. Her character is a successful stand-up comedian and actor who meets a guy she feels no attraction to, but he slowly ingratiates himself into her life by saying all the right things. He's good on paper, in other words. And then things get very strange. She explains in the following interview how much is real and how much isn't, and also talks about her impressive dramatic turn in last year's acclaimed, but deeply sad, Pieces of a Woman. Content warning, we talk much more than I expected to about the Neil Strauss book, The Game, uh, which is kind of a guide for pickup artists slash memoir. It's insane. I haven't thought about it in a while. That's not true. My wife and I talk about it all the time, as we'll get into. <laughs> Here's Eliza Schlesinger, whose film Good on Paper is on Netflix now. Eliza Schlesinger, welcome to Movie Maker. Love your comedy. Love the new movie. I'm in Boston, so the first thing I have to ask you is, you've done a couple of Boston set movies. You did Spencer. You also did Pieces of a Woman. You have mastered the Boston accent. <laughs> Thank you. It's so Thank easy to mess up. Are you a Bostonian or are you just there? I am from Los Angeles in Boston now because of my wife. Okay. It's a, it is a very difficult, it's a very easy accent to mess up. And uh, it's one of those accents where not a ton of people attempt it. And it's usually bad. And so my whole, all I wanted was some like mass hole to send me a tweet like, eh, it's not bad. And then like, that was, that was all I needed. So I got that. I was, I'm, I'm so happy people aren't coming at me with pitchforks. That's the highest compliment in Boston. It's true. Just someone being like, yes, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so are you back doing stand-up now after a long COVID related layoff? You know, I did stand up in COVID. We worked really hard at putting together a drive-in tour. So the month of October and November, we were out doing these drive-ins across the country, just really trying to work and do my act, but also bring people some joy. And then I've just been doing local spots here every night um, as if think, I mean, they're all outside. So I've been doing those for about six or seven months. So I took this as a chance to just keep going and be ready with a new hour when the world opened up. How does it feel to work through this? I mean, what was it like to be outside and to have a different audience? You know, I did it because I think stand up, you always come out of a show, even if it's a rough show, a better comic. And I think it's the mark of a career well played that you have like these battle scars and these stories. So, you know, some shows were difficult being outdoors, 40 degree weather in the rain, talking to you, McHenry, Illinois. But um, <laughs> it was, you know, we're all, it was this mutual, this tacit understanding between the comic and the audience. Like, hey, we're all here. We're all trying to have a little fun. We're all trying to make each other feel good. People came out, you know, we did it like a tailgate tour. So it was nice to get to also connect with people um, after so much silence, not only COVID, but our election, just getting to sort of reacquaint yourself. We were out, not near Boston, but we were in um, Cape Cod. Yeah, we did a show out there, which was really cool. So it was nice to get to be, to be reacquainted with my country and its citizens. <laughs> when did you make this movie? Before COVID, right? 
We made this movie in fall, late fall of 2019. So right before. And it's funny. We wrapped on like midnight. And then the next day at like 7 a.m., I was on a flight to Montreal to go and shoot pieces of a woman. So like I left my own movie. Like it was just two very different sets, two very different experiences. (laughs) Pieces of a Woman is one of the least funny movies ever made. There is almost no humor save like one or two lines I improvised. Uh, It is cold. It was cold. It was it was a tough shoot, um, but they got a beautiful piece of art out of it. But yes, definitely not a funny, not a fun hang. At least those first 20 minutes. No jokes. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful movie. But (laughs) yeah. So with this film, you kind of suggest that it may be based on a true story, that there's parts of it that are brought from. So I just I'm just going to ask, how true is it? It's a mostly true story based on a lie. So it's true in that I did date someone and all of the events within their relationship, give or take, are real things that happen. All of the lies are real lies that were told to me. Um, I don't think I have the kind of mind that could make up a person who, well, I guess I don't want to give anything away, who makes up the kind of lies that that person did because they're so weird. Um, The end of the movie is not real. I don't Mm want to give anything away, but uh, everything that happens at that bar onward, you know, there was no um, (laughs) judge involved or anything like that. But the characters are based on real people, including myself. And, um, you know, this isn't, this is art and it's it's a comedy you know that there is no intention of attacking anyone there's no anger as an artist you know I think it's it was a very cathartic process writing it but this wasn't like I had no need to document it word by word and like get back I don't care if that person ever sees the movie I just wanted to make something great so this person obviously is out of your life and is just gonna turn this on on Netflix someday and go oh I was a jerk I don't think a sociopath has that sort of remorse or hindsight. Um, But, you know, again, it's not about when you go through something like that, it's not about the other person. I'm not interested in how that person atones or feels. It was about taking something that was really insane and awful and sitting with it, removing the anger and making something fun. And I think when you do that, as with any comedy, whether it's stand up or a film, um, you start to find not so much a community, but similarities with other people who then are vulnerable in exchange. And they reach out and they say, oh my God, I've been through something similar. I know someone just like this, this happened to me. So through our vulnerability, we're able to touch people. Um, and we all realize that most of us all go through the same kinds of things, no matter how individual and crazy we think they are. So it seems like this was a pretty real, pretty serious relationship. This wasn't like, you know, I went on a couple of dates with this person and got some interesting material from this thing I'll never do again. I mean, this was like a real relationship. This was a very real friendship, um, which we tried to stress in the movie, you know, because they're friends for a very long time. um, Because I think it's very easy to write off women as, oh, you only liked a guy for money or you only liked him because of the looks. And, you know, I want it to be very clear, Andrea, which is in this character and is myself, was established had her own life, had her own everything. Um, And she was not attracted to him and became attracted to his personality, which is normal. But it took a very long time because she always felt something was off. And so it really is a case of somebody winning someone over. Um, Trying to remember what your initial question was as I'm answering that. Uh, (laughs) 
What was your initial question? Well, I guess what I'm getting to is how long did it take to process it, turn it into art? I mean, because it seems if this happened to me, it would be a pretty heady, crazy experience to just deal with somebody who is a complete liar day after day and have them be a big part of my life or a significant part of my life. You know, we were friends for a year and we really only dated for three months, but the dating aspect of it, you know, the idea is that you, I knew this person very well, um, met my family, everything as friends. And then this happened. It was like a shot to the chest. I remember after I discovered the extent of the lies, I remember coming back to my house and just, I fell asleep on the couch for like 15 hours. Like it was such emotion. It was so traumatizing emotionally because you have no reference point. It's not like somebody stole your wallet. You know, you know, that happens in our society. This was like such a weird manipulative. You're like, how far back does this go? Who else? Like, I I didn't even know how to process that. So I can't, I couldn't, that was probably around like 2015. I remember I had turned, I can't do this math in my head. I had turned 31 and this happened several, like a couple months after that. Um, and so I just started writing this. I do this a lot with just stuff. I have, I have screenplays that I've written and I have a lot of like half screenplays of just stuff you want to get out. You know, sometimes you throw it all away. So I started writing this and then I looked back at my emails and I took my first meeting with who would become the producer of this movie in 2017. And that set us on about a year of notes. And we worked with a producer who left. And so, you know, from 2017, we made it in 2019. So it was about two years of finding the right partners and probably took about a year to write that script or get it where I wanted it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a process. It's definitely I came in with this idea. I can't remember if I had the script written and then we redid it or if we but we definitely went back and forth with notes. So it was a process. It's a really crackling mystery. It yeah. works really. There's a point in the movie where you just have no idea where it's going. Because <laughs> you want it to be okay. Right. right. As I did in real life. And as you know, you're like, it's a rom-com, of course. And even the way we talk about it, it's like, he seems great. So of course you want her to doubt him. And then it turns out there's, an, there's a reason for everything. It was all a misunderstanding. You want that. <laughs> Well, you also go back and I don't know if you watch a lot of 80s rom-coms, but even the ones that we all consider really good, like broadcast news, the ma- the guy we're supposed to be rooting for through the lens yes. of now is kind of an asshole. Like, and he has this right. entitlement that because I'm a nice guy, I should be able to get with whoever I want to, despite my romantic rival being in every way kind of maybe a better choice. Superior, physically superior. <laughs> yeah. It is something that we wrestle with in our society. You know, you have the quote unquote nice guys who are angry because they finished last, but you know, I always say, Hey, at least you finished. Um, and then it's like, you know, like Ducky or like Andrew McCarthy, like all the reasons you root for these guys and you're not sure. I mean, that's a character on one's a name, but, um, <laughs> there's all these reasons that somebody tugs at your heartstrings. And so this film is, he represents that guy, but there's actually nothing underneath. Like usually it's like, he's a nice guy and he would treat her right. If she would just stop dating the jock and this type of human, this type of, of crazy person just puts on the mask of the underdog. But really there, as you know, we find out in the end, like there really is no substance and it kind of quite, you know, women are so vilified. I'm just going to speak about the film as if people have seen it. Women are so vilified for going after an attractive man for whatever the uh, evolutionary reasons are for that. Whatever it is we see in a guy, you're always wrong. 
whether it's money or looks or anything, it's always, oh, she's shallow, but it's always okay. The reverse. And, uh, what I wanted to look at with this character was like, she's not doing anything wrong, even if she is dating the wrong kind of guy and all the things that he used to sort of entice her are very normal things that one should expect. You should expect a guy to be sweet and smart and kind. Um, and so I really wanted to play with what we expect women to expect and how we vilify women for dating hunky guys when it's like, well, why is that wrong if you're not hurting anyone? The other thing you get into at the beginning is that I did, you always hear those stories that are like, my husband asked me out 15 times before I finally said yes. And then he just totally it's horrifying. Do you think it still happens? I mean, do you still hear those stories or are those kind of going away as our grandparents die? I think, you know, you're. So that stand-up that I do in the movie, I actually, it became a bit that I did, but I made it up right there on the spot for the movie. I was like, what can I pull together that sort of exemplifies this? And so it's uh, just about how it's always celebrated when you ask grandma, how did you meet grandpa? Or yes, grandpa. And he's always like, she didn't like me at first. And we always celebrate that like, oh, and he just knew that he knew better than her. And he just kept on. And it does work. You know, you can wear a girl down or she did like you a little, but she wasn't sure. Um, and this is an example of somebody who and a lot of guys do this. You know, you stick around hoping she'll like you, which is different than lying and making making yourself seem vulnerable when you're not and making up stuff. Um and I remember when I first told the story, you know, because we're we're so angry at women in our society, some people were like, you're a gold digger. And I was like, how's that now? <laughs> how's <laughs> what, how does that tax bracket work? Um, it's so hard to wrap our minds around. Like people hear that a woman kind of got taken down a peg and it's always like, well, you must have deserved it. And it's like or counterpoint, this is a crazy story. So. I worked very hard at trying, you know, Andrea may not be the most likable just because she was living her life and seeing things her way. But I think a lot more women are like that than movies give them credit for. How did you cast this? You found such a good cast and especially the creep. He's so good. Ryan Hansen, I, full disclosure, had never heard of him. And my director, Kimmy Gatewood, we were trying to think of, you know, this was a very, very low budget, small movie. Um, it was not with Netflix. At the time Netflix acquired it. So this wasn't, you know, I understand in Hollywood, you know, nobody really wants to, it, it's hard to get to take a chance if you're not the shiniest actor. And I don't have all the celebrity friends. And I got a director on board. I got Kimmy Gatewood and she was super passionate about it. And I love collaborating. And I love that people, you know, as a comic, I really am trained to only think about myself. So she came up with this idea of Ryan Hansen. And I remember looking at him and I was like, he's not ugly. You heard yeah. me, Ryan. That's the highest compliment. So <laughs> the the whole thing doesn't work if he's handsome because she would have liked him right off the bat. So he was very gracious. And we offered him the part because I knew he could do it. And he I'd heard that he was just great to work with on set. And that is a huge thing, you know, having people that make you want to come to work the next day. And he agreed to wear these giant teeth that we gave him. And of course, glasses, because that is the international sign for dork you put them on and then you take them off and then they're hot wow movie magic um and you know we dressed him a certain way and he really tapped into this sort of entitled weirdo who's like a little pathetic and he did a great job of sort of weaving in and out of of confident and then kind of you could see a little bit of the crack so he 
brought that character to life. It wasn't the type, it wasn't the way I saw him initially. And then I can't see him as anything. I can't see Dennis Kelly as anything else other than how Ryan did it. So yeah, it was, I think it was a real exercise in placing your faith in an actor and letting them run with it. Yeah. And that was a really cool exercise for me as someone who works alone, typically. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think is harder between doing stand-up and doing a film? I mean, obviously the film was a much bigger production, but stand-up, it is all on you. Yeah, I actually, it's not even about harder. It really is apples to oranges. There's something to be said for, like on Pieces of a Woman, I was the least important. I Even though I was like number four on the call sheet, um, the part was huge and it definitely, what the movie was, my character ended up being a sliver of a person, but there was something relaxing isn't the word, but something very freeing about knowing all I have to do is show up and take notes and just be a student of these people in standup. You know, you're always trying to show that you're the best. You've got the best timing. It's your show. And there's something very freeing about knowing that everybody there, we're all working together. People know better than you. And at the end of the day, I don't have to make the decisions because the director's there. And even on this movie, you know, I wrote it, I lived it. Um, And even though I had very specific ideas about the way I was going to act in each scene, sometimes you just mentally need a break. And I would just look at Kimmy and be like, how do I say this? What's happening? And she, you know, she's right there. So that's, it's nice to have people doing the heavy lifting with you. Um, So I like both of them. They're both exercises and they're both, they're both a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I think standup is the scariest thing within entertainment. I mean, I'm not saying it's scarier than, you know, being at war or something, but it's pretty scary. Well, like, you said within entertainment, so you covered your bases. No one's <laughs> going to cancel you. Um, <laughs> a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> uh, when did you decide I'm going to take a shot at this? And when did you realize you were good at it? The movies or the stand-up? Stand-up first, I guess. And maybe we can get I've been into- doing, sure. I've just, I've been doing stand-up since I was 24, 20, 20, 23 22, something like that. And it was never, I'm going to take a shot. It was always, this is what I'm going to do. And I have no rules for it. Luckily it's in this career. You don't have, there are no rules. You make your rules. And I just did it because no one said I couldn't. And it didn't occur to me that I couldn't. And it never occurred to me that this whole conversation about like men are funny, women aren't, it just never, I was always the funny kid growing up. I always made my guy friends laugh. Like that agenda was one that I was not privy to. So there is a power in the ignorance of not knowing how, what people think about your kind. You just go. And I didn't ever ask for that permission. And I still don't, nor do I care. And uh, I think that's a big part of being built for entertainment. And that was with this movie. I just, I didn't ask for anyone. I didn't wait for anyone to ask me for it. I just wrote it, told my managers what I had. She set me up with a, a producer in Boston. I was there to play some shows. And she was like, you have a meeting at like noon, the, the day of your show. And so I gave him a quick Google. I put in some fake hair. I went down to the lobby. I met him and we really connected as people. We really got along. We really had like a nice personal discussion. And I think he really liked me as a person. Yeah. Um, And we just really got along as friends and he liked the movie and he made these small budget movies. And I just needed someone to say yes. And I was like, if you could just say yes, I will run with it. And we did. So there's so much to be said for just like giving someone just enough rope (laughs) to to hang themselves (laughs) in a good way. 
I feel like this yeah. is kind of a perfect online movie in the sense that people will want to talk about it and there'll be a really good dialogue. And like when a movie's in a theater, you can't necessarily have that immediate dialogue. Mm-hmm. This one, people can really argue and discuss and say, oh my God, that happened to me. Yeah. What do you think your week is going to be like when this comes out? It's going to be a lot of opinions. It's going to be a lot of people sharing their stories. My DMs are going to be overflowing. You know, I hope it, it's not about spawning a conversation about this type of sociopath, but I do think there's a conversation to be had about inadequacies and how they rear their ugly heads. And people always talk about a woman scorned, but like the, this is an example of a man feeling inadequate and a way that that can manifest itself versus, you know, going out and making yourself better. This is one creepy way to go about it. And I think, you know, I wrote this character because I wanted to see and play this type of girl who's very similar to me, but who doesn't need to be taken down a peg, who did nothing wrong, who didn't really need to go on that journey and who was doing nothing other than forging a career, taking care of herself and living her life on her own terms. And I think that that's something we don't get to see. It's always, she's clumsy. She's unlucky in love. You know, she has 18 jobs. I'm like, nope, got a job, pretty successful not unlucky in love and just kind of got tripped up. And I think, I think it's a, as weird as the story was, I think this character is very normal and I don't, I'd like to see more of her in movies. I don't think enough is made of the mediocre entitled guy who is responsible for a lot of the problems, but because he's nice or because he sees himself as a victim, he gets away with a lot of awful stuff. So I just think the movie is cool for calling that out and making the guy pathetic. Like, it's not even like he's, it doesn't sort of honor him by making him evil. It doesn't sort of give him the respect of making him evil. He's just a a pathetic. People just suck. Yeah. And it's so weird because if I saw this person just in passing, I think I would just walk the other way. This isn't retribution. And even as I'm talking about it now, I'm like struggling to like tap into even any anger, like even giving it oxygen now. I'm like, well, it is for the movie, but like, it's so about the overall messages and the comedy. And I don't, it's just about like unearthing this specific type of person because it is such a common thing. And because women are so regularly vilified and guys, it's like, well, I'm sure he had reasons, you know, and as a a normal guy, you know, men should be upset that this kind of guy exists. You know, women, we always have to answer for uh, Karen's or basic women or any kind of stereotype of a girl. All women are beholden to that. And with men, you know, there should be more of a collective like, yeah, we got to get that kind of guy out of here because he hurts people. So. I think a lot of men will see this and they will either remember the first time I told this story or they will just kind of make want to, you know, outwardly be like, hey, I'm not that. Like, let's make sure to separate ourselves from these betas. <laughs> well, is is there a name for these guys? I mean, the guys are kind of weaponizing the friend zone and using it as their way in. I'm sure that was like a chapter in that. What was it called the game? What was that thing <laughs> where what was it with, you know? But yeah, we're talking about evolution, right? So it's kind of like, you know, they bring up cuttlefish in the movie. Like it's sort of whatever you have to attract a female. It You can't really discount it, whether someone's got a big brain or big muscles. But lying, I think, in our society is a particularly, a particularly evil thing. And 
what's so weird about this is like we're very used to, you know, every song is about someone who cheats, right? We're very used to that. So this would not be interesting. And I wouldn't want to see it if she's like, and then I loved him. I gave him a chance and he cheated on me. It's like, well, caveat emptor. So what's so weird is this, these types of lies that people, they listen to the story and they're like, how come you didn't know it? And I'm like, you wouldn't have either. Cause if, if I saw you today and I was like, Tim, what'd you have for breakfast? And you were like, I said, eggs. Why would I question that? Right. You said you're in Boston right now. Why would I question that? <laughs> so it's uh, it really taps into people's just kindness as humans and just and people taking advantage of that, I guess, which I prefer to be uh, blindly unaware because that means I'm a nice, normal person. My mother will tell you she knew he was lying. <laughs> uh, the Margaret Cho character is an amalgamation of like two friends and my mother. She was like, I called it from the beginning. I was like, okay, noted. <laughs> There's a moment in the movie that it kind of surprised me where a guy comes up to your character and says, you're not bad for a girl in terms of your stand-up." And <laughs> I felt like that, I sort of stupidly felt like that debate was over, but it must, it must still happen. Does that still happen like every night? No, it doesn't. Um, it happens enough that it was worth making an ass out of that drunk guy. And yeah. it's the perfect example of like, that guy obviously is like kind of flirting with you. You wouldn't go out of your way to speak to a woman and tell her she did a good job and then take her down a peg if you weren't like hoping she would like touch your penis. Um, so <laughs> Adam Ray, who plays that character and then had a really funny line that he improvised about black belts afterward, just sort of embodies that type of guy that like can't get over the fact that you did a good job. Doesn't really want to give it to you. Also is hoping maybe you'll talk to him. Um, <laughs> and so while it's not a debate I ever engage in, it's definitely something that gets brought up in interviews. Like are women as funny as men? And I'm like, nobody <laughs> is really, it's the question is dated. Um, so even giving it an answer, I think like breathes life into it. So I was just like, who cares? The answer is yes. I, I hate to reference the game again, um, mm -hmm. that book, but it does, now that you say it, it does sound like the classic neg, um, like a, one of the game strategies. And the reason I know so much about the game is because my wife and I talk about it constantly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like all of the things about like- All these oh, years later. It's like, it's like a 15 year old book, right? Yeah. Um, I can remember sitting at, uh, oh my God, it's that really good- breakfast place next door to CVS on sunset that is closed now. The griddle. The griddle? Yeah. And seeing this. Did you just say the griddle's really good? I thought it was good. It's big. <laughs> the pancakes are big. Okay. The wait staff is good looking. Okay. It's good. You know what? It's good. I take it back. I think they're closed. God rest their soul. Yeah. Bad. But yeah, that's a, I have, I feel like I have to excuse why I know anything about the game. Oh, that's funny. Um, I guess if you think about like, whatever you got to do. Like if, if that works on a girl, then it works. If saying to a girl, like, you know, you look kind of short and she's like, what do you mean? I'm short. I'll prove <laughs> it to you in bed. Then that worked. There was a, a weak spot and you found it and, um, use whatever. Again, I don't fault those guys for that. If you're the type of girl that falls for it. Oh my God. I had some guy do that to me at a bar once forever ago. He, he walked up to me and he called me short. And I'm not tall, but I'm also not short. Like I'm just a very painfully average height. And I just went, no. And I walked away and I was like, nice. I don't know. Nice try. 
not even nice try. Like it was such a weak, like, I'll see if she falls for this, but that's what dating is like, just seeing what works. Yeah. Um, and ideally <laughs> you do it truthfully. He truly wanted to see if I would respond to being called short. And that's how the whole relationship started. It's great. And that's how I met my husband. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to, how much further do you want to go with movies? How much, this is the, let me start over the super dumb question. Do you want to focus more on movies? Do you want to continue doing movies with stand-up? The answer is yes. The answer yeah. is I'm not in a position to be like, and I'm just going to set that mic down and I'm an auteur now. I've come too far in stand-up and in my abilities as a screenwriter and in my con in continually trying to become a better actor to limit myself. You know, I have a couple of other screenplays at various stages of development. Yeah. a couple of other projects. And these are all as a result of just years of trying and finding that producer that believes in me, finding a person to say yes, without really any of the cachet of a bigger celebrity. Um, so my answer has always been like, my goal has always been to do bigger and better projects on my own terms, whether that is a late night show that I've wanted forever or a daytime show or more movies or my own TV show you know, having the most creative control is something that you're not always afforded. And I hope with this movie, it puts me just in a different echelon of consideration because, you know, there are a lot of funny people out there and there are a lot of blonde women that act, you know? So I, this was my way of saying, here's what I, I, I intended to demonstrate ability wise. Um, and it probably took me a little, little bit of time to get here, but I was just doing stand up for so long because I got the most yeses for that. Mm. I mean, I've been auditioning for over a decade. So, and these are good auditions. This isn't like, like a commercial for like a warehouse installation or something. So <laughs> it is, people don't see all the work that goes in under it and all the screenplays that kind of made it halfway and all the producers that said yes and then didn't answer and all the movies and all the TV shows that you auditioned for. But you got to put in your 10,000 hours somewhere and I chose stand up and I wouldn't take, I wouldn't, trade that for the world because stand-up is one of the only parts of this industry where you don't have to ask anyone's permission. I mean, ideally the audience is laughing, but you can just do it. I give so much credit to actors because yeah. it's so expensive to continue to take classes and you have to leave your job to go audition. And even if you're the best, you still may not get it for whatever reason. Um, and stand-up, you have more of more control in your hands. It really is based on your merit. So I'm glad I had that to separate me from the other actors. Cause I don't think I could do it as just an actor. Did it help you a lot as a screenwriter? Because you sort of know audiences, you know, where the laughs are. Yes. You know, I, this is so funny. Sometimes when I audition, I say to myself, I'm like, did this writer read these lines out loud? And that was the opening scene was sort of my, not paying tribute, but just me sort of poking fun at the audition process when you read these lines and they're always like, oh, make it your own. And you're like, well, these lines are written like this is weird and it's not structured funny, like funny is funny. And you feel so handcuffed because you want to honor the material, but you don't want to change it too much because then you'll hurt a writer's feelings. And so it was really interesting being on the other side of the camera for just the other side of the line for the auditions and everything and seeing where actors would try to make it their own and seeing where, you know, where they liked the lines and seeing the types of people we got for auditions. I just, I respected myself so much as an actor and I respect these actors so much because it's so hard. Um, but yes, in terms of writing, 
I love writing dialogue and I, you know, I have a real eye for what's going to get that laugh and keeping things in my voice and also making sure to give other people fun parts to play. Mm. You know, I've definitely, as a funny person, I get called in for funny scenes and it's like, okay, you're going to be the girlfriend and she's kind of a bitch and she's got four lines and you're like, okay, I don't want that. I want something juicier. So I tried to give even Serena Halstead, who's like the perfect girl. I tried to give her a part that I would want to play. Yeah. I tried to give the actors stuff that made it exciting for them versus them just supporting me. I didn't want, I wanted to be as selfless as possible while still creating a starring role for myself. Have you taken time to just kind of appreciate that this is done? I mean, this is a three or four year process, not including the life experience. Have you just taken a moment to kind of just enjoy it? Let me give you a little bit of background for just how, just to color sort of the journey of this. Um, We, I was in Nashville in, I guess it must've been 2018. I I can't remember the year that I shot my last Netflix special unveiled. Maybe it was 2019. And I remember I was at a dress rehearsal because we were shooting that night and I got the phone call that we had lost funding for this movie Mm. and we had gotten it so far and we had worked so hard. And it's one of those things where, you know, if you lose momentum, people kind of just forget about it. And I am continually pushing a boulder uphill in this career. And I was like, really, we couldn't have told me an hour after I record something that's going to live permanently (laughs) online. And so that was a very tough pill to swallow as a producer, as the creator of this. Um, And we got the funding back. We worked with Universal, who took a swing on this movie, which was really cool. I definitely like teared up the first time I watched it. And I got to see that Universal logo at the front of it, because that's not 12 production companies coming together like it's it was it was just really cool it felt big and then we made the movie and nothing we heard nothing I remember you know we finished it we edited it and then it's just gone it kind of gets sucked away and Universal's off to sell it and it was months of me calling my producer like every week like anything anything and he was like you know it's no news is good news whatever and I was like please please don't let this end up being like a subscription channel based. If you buy a certain water bottle, it comes free with your purchase. Like, please, there's so many channels. And he called and he said, Netflix bought it. And I did, I screamed. I really believe in this career. You only get a couple of big, like, fuck yeah. Like only a couple of big ones. And every time you think you're going to get one, it's always like, well, they bought it, but they're not releasing it for 10 years. Like there's always a, (laughs) and we got it. And so it's just been really cool to see the enthusiasm because this movie was like the little engine that could as am I. And it's been really, I'm taking it every moment, all the opportunities coming with it. Um, and this film is a testament to, I worked on this on the road, you know, on Saturday nights in between gigs, like this was a labor of love and it's a real testament to not asking anyone for permission and just doing it. And so I'm really proud that I did it my way. So yeah, it's cool. That was Eliza Schlesinger. Her film Good on Paper, which she starred in, wrote, and executive produced, is now on Netflix. I just checked. If you've enjoyed this, feel free to give us multiple stars on Apple. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast. Feel free to get a bag and fill it with money and throw it in our general direction. Or 
better yet, just tell a friend you enjoyed this interview and that they should listen to it. I love the point she made at the end about not asking anyone's permission. That's something that we hear a lot in our interviews here at Movie Maker, probably because it's true. Don't ask anyone's permission. Just go do the damn thing you want to do. Thank you for listening. See you very soon. I'm Tim Lloyd from Movie Maker. 